All right, Trinity Church, good morning. Good morning to you joining us online. Good morning to you who are chilly in the cold. I was going to say shivering. I'm not sure we're quite shivering level, even. but if you are, I, I understand. Uh, I've never preached in a jacket before, so we're kind of all doing new things today, but thank you so much for your willingness to come out and join us on this Sunday morning. Thank you for your, your willingness to join us online and be a part of your weekend. We are so glad you're here. My name is Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity Church. And you join us today in a series like you just saw in the video called Armed, Standing Together in Spiritual Battle. And so if you have a Bible today, we're going to be using it. If you want to open it to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be. If you, um, might, if you are at home and you want to open up our notes, that might be on your laptop or on your phone. If you're joining us here, the easiest place to get our notes is off of our app. And if you go to resources, then you'll see sermon notes and today's date, the 25th of October. You can pull those up. I love them because you can fill them in the blanks right there digitally. And that's a great win uh, for us as well. But that's available to you today to kind of track with us and kind of move forward. Well, can we do this? Can we thank our productions teams for being able to pull this off today? It's a pretty big deal. And um, our options were either try to figure out what we could do on the lawn and get equipment wet, not knowing if it was going to rain or not. We could have had nobody here and meet indoors, and that would have been a bummer, seeing all of your wonderful faces, or do what we did here. And so I just appreciate their agility. Thank you, team, very much for being able to do that and making this worship service available to us today. I also want to let you know this. Some of you are planning, I loved it, I was talking to you before the service, planning on joining us for another thing. I mean, let me first see this. How many of you are here today and you have students in our middle school program right around the corner? Very cool. I'm really glad that you came. I'm glad you brought them. You're glad you brought them and that they're over there. All wins, right? All big wins right now. So we are trying to continue to bring back elements of what we've been able to do as a, a church and a ministry on Sundays, and that is another new addition, is our middle school program here at the nine o'clock hour. But in addition to that, one thing that we had just begun pre-pandemic was really a, a great opportunity for you to get to know really the DNA and the, the real core values of Trinity Church in a, an experience that we call Discover Trinity. We're doing that today for the first time in months. And right after the service, right over here where Hilke was mentioning before, the Start Here booth, you are welcome to join us. It's never been an event you had to sign up for. So if you're like, hey, I didn't even know they were doing that today, but I'd love to be a part of that. Please join us right at the end of the service today under the Start Here booth. And we'll just kind of do a great kind of not only a tour of the campus, but also the opportunity to hear a little bit about what really drives us and what motivates us. So we're glad you're here today. We're talking about this idea of spiritual battle, and, and you'll see today the importance of engaging it together. And what we've been asking the question is that we're doing this for a very timely reason, because it can be very confusing in this season in our lives to understand and identify who the enemy is. Is the enemy the government? Is the enemy the other political party? Is the enemy someone of a different ethnicity? All these questions, is the enemy someone at Trinity Church who believes differently than me on any of those issues? And we've been walking it out and going, no, not, that's not the case. God has created every single human being in his image. 
And every human being is redeemable by God. So the reality is none of us, not only people out in the culture, but especially those in the family of God, the Bible calls us brothers and sisters, not enemies. So we're asking ourselves the question, then who is the enemy? Who is it that we need to be aware of and be thoughtful of? And it's none other than God's enemy, Satan himself, who lives to steal, kill, and destroy what God loves most, you. So as we are, the the purpose of this series has been to focus our gaze, get our attention onto where the true enemy is so that we can be prepared not only to engage in battle, but engage in battle together. So today we look at another article of armor that God has given us and that of faith. Paul likens faith to a shield. And what we're going to see today is that that shield is not only significant for you, but for us. And we'll dive into that. Here's our now what statement today. If you're in your notes or you want to look at it on the screen. And it's this idea that we're called to be a people who live persuaded by who God is and what he's promised us as a means of standing together against our enemy. Live persuaded by who God is and what he's promised us as a means of standing together against our enemy. In your notes, number one today, our common faith in God is for our common protection. Our common faith in God is for our common protection. I'll tell you what I mean by that. Your Bibles are open to Ephesians chapter 6, looking at verse 13 is where we'll start. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand... Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And here's our verse for today, verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So I want to catch you up a little bit to our series. What we're seeing is God has armed his people. And he's armed his people to work together, these articles of armament. We start our, started our series with a couple weeks on this whole idea of trying to unpack the concept of standing. What does that mean in this battle sense to be a, a people called to stand and stand together? And then we began looking at each one of these articles. Hilke did a great job preaching about this idea of the belt of truth and the importance of being a people who pay attention to reality and the reality that God helps us understand through his word. And then we looked uh, at the breastplate of righteousness, this idea of what God has given us, both this righteousness that's found in the person of Christ and right living towards one another. That's an armor, part of the armor of God. Last week, Bill did a great job talking about this gospel of peace, likening to that of our stance or our shoes, and how we are to be a people who have responded to the gospel and bring this gospel to other people. And today we look at this concept of this shield of faith. That's the next area where we're going to look at. So I want to look at this verse and kind of break it down just a little bit at a time to kind of set the stage for where we're going. This idea, it begins actually with a verb, having taken up the shield of faith. So there's a a kind of a, I wouldn't use the word assumption, but an understanding that of course you've taken up this shield that Paul's likening to faith. And this idea, I, I think about this, if you think about battle in the first century, and you think about the armament that was necessary, I don't think a soldier could even begin to think of going into a battle without a shield. 
Just the whole concept would be so foreign. How could you ever go into an, uh, a battle situation that exposed? I love motorcycles on the 10, that drive with this open muffler. It's so rad, so great. So anyways, no one would even think of going into battle like that, and that's what Paul's likening then this idea of faith to, that you wouldn't ever think of going without that. And let's talk about this idea of this shield. The Greek word there, it's only used one time in the Bible, and actually what's interesting, it really doesn't necessarily initially translate to the word shield. It translates to that of a door. A door, a small door. I so am grateful for my good friend, Scott Goss. This week, I just asked him for a piece of wood that was about this size. This is what I got, okay? Scott is just great at just being thoughtful and taking good care of me. And this is what he built. Yeah, let's thank Scott. That was a really cool thing he did. But what I did is I gave him this dimension. This is about the size. I think on this screen, we all pull this over to the side. This would be another... Um, likening of what the, the shield would have looked like. But this idea that was called a scutum, a scutum. And, and this concept was, what I really wanted to show you was that the shield that we're talking about was not that gladiator shield that you've seen in movies, that circular idea that goes on one arm. This is really the concept of what Paul was talking about, having taken up the shield. And this idea, what's powerful about this is when you see it, you realize, man, that thing's huge. And then when you think about what it was made out of, probably a metal substance, this thing was incredibly heavy as well. I just got a, a piece of wood so I can hold it up for probably a minute or two and then my arm's gonna get you know, tired. But this is what soldiers would go out to battle with, these Roman soldiers, and they would have these shields. But really what I want you to see, I want you to see this power of not only, I'll turn it this way so you can keep looking at it, not only the shield itself, but I want you to see how the shield was was used in a group. Take a look at this next slide. This is actually the formation, and you'll see this was called a phalanx, okay? And this group of soldiers, they would come out, and in the front row, they would hold their shields up to the top of their heads. But it would be the guys behind them that would hold their shields over them like this, and this kind of formation that we would get the word tortoise. This was a tortoise formation. And so they would go into battle when, when there would be a time when arrows would be shot down from like a, a, a tower or a wall, they would take this formation. And what you see is the power of not only how a shield would be incredibly significant for you as a, as a, a warrior, but for you all. Because you're all working together to protect one another from the flaming arrows of the evil one. They would say these shields would often, though on metal, would be covered with a, like the, uh, the skin of an animal. And when they were doused, when they were made wet, when a flaming arrow would stick into them, they would be able to put that out as a result. So just a really cool image that Paul uses that is not in, in the first century when the Ephesian church was hearing these words. They weren't trying to have to imagine what could that be about. This was a known idea for the way that Roman warriors went to battle. So it's a, a really cool picture that we can see uh, when we see one especially face to face. So I want you to see this. I want you to see the power of what we've been talking about, about the y'all concept. Every verb in this last part of Ephesians 6 is a second person plural. It's written to us all. Spiritual battle was never meant to be an individual sport. 
Paul never wrote to individual soldiers. He wrote to battalions. He wrote to squadrons. He wrote to groups of soldiers who work together. So for that reason, I want to do what we did a couple weeks ago. Wherever you are, watching online or here, would you stand up with me? I want you to find someone nearby, and I want you to be in a socially distant way, but you're going to talk to each other. So face each other. Try to find a pair. If you can't find a one-on-one, then maybe a group of three if needed. But take a minute, look at each other, and this is what I want you to repeat after me. We're on the same team. I love you, even if we don't agree on everything. Good. Go find somebody else. If you guys are watching online, find a new family member, okay? Or if you already talked to each other, now go look in a mirror, okay? This is good. All right. Everybody's got a new person or maybe a couple people. Let's try it again. Number one, we're on the same team. I love you, even if we don't agree on everything. Good. One more time. Go find someone different. More middle. Okay. All right. Last one, you found a new person or maybe two people, so a group of one or two or two or three. Last time, let's say this to each other. First off, we're on the same team. I love you, even if we don't agree on everything. Good job. Find your seats. Great job. Thank you for indulging me. Now, Paul says, he doesn't just say take up a shield, right? He likens a shield to this character trait, this action word of faith. So if you're taking notes, this is, I want to give you this kind of fill-in in your notes. Faith simply stated means to be persuaded. Means to be persuaded. And that's a powerful word because here's the thing. Sometimes when we'll think of faith... We'll think of this word only as it relates to God, and it definitely relates to God, no no doubt about that. But right now, for those of you that are sitting out here on the plaza, you are putting your faith in your chair. You are persuaded that when you go to sit down, it's going to hold you up. Because faith always has an active role. I'm not going to be persuaded by something from a distance. I demonstrate my persuasion when I sit. For those of you sitting home as well on the couch or in whatever setting you're in, similarly said. Especially for those of you that are out on the plaza, you were persuaded that the weather report you read today that was in, you, in for some of your apps as low as 20 or 15% chance of rain, you were persuaded they were right. My app said 60%. I was persuaded it was going to be wrong. But either way, you stepped out, you made an active decision based on something that you were persuaded by. That's an example of faith. Some of you were persuaded that a certain Southern California baseball team could win in the ninth inning last night. Okay? We were wrong. But good news, there's another opportunity tonight. So this is what we're talking about, faith. So this is what I love. Uh, when I was up at Forest Home a couple summers ago, I was interacting with a family and we were chatting and they said, Todd, put this on for size. Our pastor, what he'll say about people who have not yet put their faith in Jesus, he'll use the phrase that they're people who are unconvinced. For those who are unconvinced. And I told him, I love that picture 
Because sometimes I actually not even meaning to, like if you've ever used the phrase, you know, I have a pagan neighbor. You haven't really thought through, that's a pretty critical, I think, um, derogatory statement, even if you don't mean it. And my point is, I think what you have is you have an unconvinced neighbor. Someone who is not yet persuaded of what the Bible teaches about who Jesus is and his love for them and what he's done in the atoning sacrifice at the cross and the empty tomb. That's what you have is someone who is unconvinced, someone who is unpersuaded. And what we're going to see today when we look at Hebrews, without faith, without being persuaded, it is impossible to please God. So that's, that's what we're talking about to define the terms today. We're not just talking about an optimism we're not just talking about uh, people who uh, would have this sense of just uh, good, positive thinking. Faith is being persuaded in something and acting thereupon. So when you combine this concept of how these Roman shields were used in community, yes, a Roman shield would use them individually in battle, but how they worked as a, as a team, as a unit in formation and with the idea of what faith is, we realize that one of our core values really speaks to that idea. It's right here on this sign behind me, and it's up on the screen for those who can see that at home. We pursue spiritual growth. We pursue that, and we pursue life change in community, that we need each other. We work together because being a Christian was never meant to be a solo sport. Never meant to be doing something by myself. It's always been meant to that you would be a part of the church, of the community, and we work together, and we even demonstrate our faith together. And what are these shields for? Is to put out, to extinguish the arrows. This word's only used twice in the New Testament, this original language word. And in it, it's actually the same word that's used when Jesus talks about it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, that's the same word as this word of arrow. And in the common Greek vernacular, it would have been that of a missile, a dart, a javelin, arrow. That's the, the way it was used. And this is an interesting title now for, again, for Satan, that of the evil one. Okay? The evil one. This phrase is used five times in the New Testament to describe Satan. But I want you to catch the impact of why this term the idea of the evil one emphasizes the inevitable agonies, the inevitable misery that always comes with evil. So the evil one is the one who inflicts agony and misery on God's people. That's a powerful phrase when you think of that attributed to Satan, that by nature, as being one who is evil, that's the end result, is that that's what we experience so in your notes, let's ask this question as we begin today. What are the flaming arrows of the evil one that can only be extinguished by the shield of faith? It's the attacks that cause us to lose or falter in our confidence or persuasion of who God is and what he's promised us. That's really powerful now as you stop and think about that and you realize I have faced those kinds of attacks. I have faced those types of arrows that have caused me to falter or altogether lose confidence, lose being persuaded, and who God tells me he is through his word. I love this, this idea, this phrase of the shield of faith is only found in Ephesians 6, but actually when we were studying 1 Peter back in the spring and summer, 
What we saw was we saw a powerful phrase in the first chapter of 1 Peter, and it talks about how faith shields us until our faith is made sight. This is what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Watch. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. This is the promise of God. This is what awaits you. Watch. Who through faith are shielded through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So this is what we're saying. Faith shields us from wavering, from losing our persuasion through the power of God, reminding us that what he's promised, he's good for. In the book that I had recommended to you a couple weeks ago, Spiritual Warfare and the Storyline of Scripture, I told you in the back they take each of these pieces of armor and they talk about both what that means in our position in Christ and our practice, how we live it out. Take a look at the screen. Here's those things identified again that are for our position in Christ. Jesus is the source and the perfecter of our faith. We'll look there in just a moment and we are to trust the promises of God. That's what the practice looks like. So that's what we're going to finish with today on those two points. What does this mean in our position in Christ and what does this mean in our daily practice? Number two in your notes today, Jesus originated and achieved what faith in the Father looks like. In your Bibles, if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, Jesus originated and achieved what faith in the Father looks like. These first three verses from Hebrews 12 are for many of us some of our favorite in the Bible for what they say about why Jesus did what he did in our place. Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And who is he? The pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We look at today, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12 and 11 briefly, and, and in that, what we see in chapter 12, chapter 12 comes after what is to me one of the most inspiring chapters in all of the Bible, and what we call sometimes the, the hall of faith, these heroes of the faith, and the way that they kept trusting God for things that he had promised them, but they couldn't see. And that, that's inspiring to us to do the same with the things that God has promised to us that we have not yet seen come to fruition yet. But these words that come right after that talks about the ultimate example of faith, the ultimate example of being persuaded in God's plan and God's direction through his son and the way that Jesus lived. So look at these, um, though we could make much of these, look at these two titles given to Jesus. The first is this idea of pioneer. You might have been like me, and when you memorize these verses in a different translation, it was what? The author, right? The author and the finisher of our faith were the phrases that I'm more used to. But I love this word pioneer. Look at what it means. It's the first, in your notes, the first in a long procession. A file leader who pioneers the way for many others to follow. 
a person who is an originator or a founder of a movement and then continues as the leader. That's a great definition. And, and for those of us who know much of our just even American history and people getting in the wagons and going heading west, they were pioneers into what was for many Americans untouched land that they had never seen before, never traveled before, never um, just investigated. And so they did that. They led and they led in such a way to blaze a trail, but also to be those that others would follow behind. So it says that Jesus has this role. He is the pioneer of our faith, the one who goes first. And because of his preeminent example, and think of what we've said, faith is being persuaded that God is right, persuaded in what God has said and then acting upon it. Every single time in the gospel, when the father makes clear to the son I want you to do this. I want you to go there. I want you to say this. Every time with complete obedience, Jesus responds. And that to us then paints this picture, though we in our sinfulness and faithlessness are unable to follow and able to have that kind of 100% faith in God, Jesus, our big brother, models that for us. That's what he did, and that's why he is the pioneer. If we want to know what does a faithful life look like, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read the Gospels. Jesus demonstrated, Jesus lived, Jesus pioneered our faith by going before us and modeling this example of what it looks like to follow the Father. But yet also this other term is he's the perfecter. He's the perfecter of our faith. In your notes, that means to be the completer or the consummator, the finisher. It's only used this place in all of the New Testament is this Greek word. The only time it's ever used. One who brings a completion to something. And so when we think about that, how is Jesus the completer of our faith? And what we realize is, is as Jesus continued to follow in obedience to the Father, as he continued to do this, that that idea of what he ultimately then accomplished because of his obedience, that an obedience that took him all the way to the cross, an obedience that took him all the way to death and ultimately to be raised supernaturally on the third day, he perfected, he accomplished the purpose of faith. And that was to bring us into a place where we could be rightly related to God. So this concept, that's what that means. So when you read those two things together, because Jesus becomes the atoning sacrifice of our sins, becomes that which we can be found in, turns aside the wrath of God. Because of those things, we realize that Jesus in a way is both the alpha, the pioneer, and the omega, the completer, the perfecter of our faith. He is at both ends of this idea of what we are to follow in or how we are to demonstrate faith. Preeminent both in his example, demonstrated in his faith and obedience, and also what he accomplished by that faithful obedience for God's plan of atonement and salvation. I've told you um, about this book that I just think is a great resource. Again, not trying to shove it down your throat, but I, I know this is an area of spiritual battle that we don't have a lot of good resources on all the time, and we're looking for more help. Here's a great uh, quote from that related to the centrality of Jesus 
as this idea of the perfecter and the completer of our faith, or the pioneer and the perfecter. I'll read it from my uh, notes here. It says, we face a real enemy in spiritual battles, but we are armed in the armor of God who is greater than the one who is in the world. 1 John 4.4. Thus any strategy dealing with spiritual warfare that fails to keep God central fails to maintain biblical fidelity. In a healthy church, he is the one we worship. And the one we announce in evangelism and the one that we model in discipleship the one that we exemplify in ministry and service, the one to whom we speak in prayer, and the one who melds us supernaturally together in fellowship. He truly is above all and through all and in all. I thought that was just a great quote talking about, again, how Jesus is at the center of everything about our lives, including our faith itself. Now, I want to share something we've talked about then positionally as we are in Christ. We're finding how he relates to our faith. He's the one who trailblazed before us, and because of his faith, he perfected what that faith was leading up to. But sometimes what I've been reading in this series with you and what I've been identifying in my own life, I just want to share just for a minute a little bit tangential. I think for many of us, maybe before this series, we began with a sense that spiritual armor has such a deep mystical component. Meaning that when I'm talking about living my life every day and then someone brings up spiritual battle, it's almost like I gotta shift gears. I gotta think in a new way because now we're talking about spiritual battle. And there's a real mysticism to it, meaning that when I think about spiritual battle, for instance, some have said, the way I engage spiritual battle is I read Ephesians 6 and I read this passage and that's somehow almost like reading it puts that armament on me. Or I pray, God, help me to see the spiritual battle a little bit like we alluded to a few weeks ago of the This Present Darkness uh, book series of seeing these spiritual battles all over the place. And, and I want to say this today. I absolutely believe that spiritual battle is spiritual in nature. Don't get me wrong. I'm not undercutting that. But I wanted to bring up another thing as I've been studying in this series. I wanted to bring up another idea to you to consider that maybe what we've done is we've made spiritual battle far too mystical and not enough practical because when you think about it, everything we've talked about so far are things that I should be engaging daily in my life. Here's what I mean. When I wake up in the morning, should I have a posture that understands there's more to my day than what I'm gonna see, touch, taste, feel here? Should I be mindful that there is a spiritual reality that I can somehow tune out or not be aware of? That's a good way to start the day every day. And when it comes to this idea of putting on the belt of truth, maybe the way that I do that is I simply consider God is the one who frames truth and reality. And as I live according to his truth, his design, then I'm engaging that spiritual battle that way. When I think of the breastplate of righteousness, when I wake up in the morning and I recognize that on my own, it is impossible for me to be right with God, but because I am in Christ, my righteousness is found in him. Therefore, not only is that true, I don't have to wonder about my identity, but as I live the day, I can live righteously towards others. That's far less mystical and super, super practical. When I think about the gospel of peace, 
When I wake up in the morning and I begin to start my day, I'm realizing that this gospel has made me in right relation, given me peace with God. And as a result, others need this same gospel in their lives. And I go out armed to bring that into their lives. When I think about this idea of the shield of faith, When I wake up in the morning and I get started with my day, I'm realizing, God, you have said things, you have promised things that have not taken place as of yet. Am I going to believe and live towards what you've said or what my eyes show me? And what I'm trying to say is, I I would hate for you to walk away from this series thinking that spiritual battle has such a highly mystical component when it's absolutely spiritual but also realizing, for failing to realize that the way that we engage spiritual battle is simply by living according to what God has told us. It's, it's both one and the same. Look in your notes. This is the easiest way I know how to say it. That if we're going to do this, if we're going to be people who live this way, then it means to stand together against our enemy is to trust and obey our commander. If you're looking for ways, how do I stand in spiritual battle? Can I just say, I don't think it's two different types of thinking. I think it's one type of thinking. If I'm someone who's in the military and I'm wondering, how am I going to stand against the enemy? Guess what the best advice they could hear? Do what your commander tells you. If you will do that one and the same, you'll be standing against the enemy by obeying your leader. So I just want to put that kind of idea over this whole series that if you've struggled with it, thinking that you've got to think almost in two lenses, I think it's a one in the same lens. Living according to what God has said gives me the ability to fend off and to engage my enemy. Finally today, number three in your notes, living by faith as an exile here will help you long for a better country. Living by faith as an exile here will help you long for a better country. Hebrews chapter 11, just one chapter back in your Bibles, verse 13. All these people, those that had been discussed so far, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things, watch this, they show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Verse 16, instead they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is that chapter I told you that is so absolutely inspiring related to the the way that people, though always fallible, never perfectly, but the way that these people that you and I can look up to, should look up to, as heroes of the faith, the way that they entrusted themselves, they were persuaded by what God told them. And we just read that the ultimate example of faith is in chapter 12 about Jesus himself. But I wanna draw your attention to the posture that these faithful men and women identified in Hebrews 11, the posture that they had while they were on this earth. Let me read parts again. Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth, they were longing for a better country, for a heavenly one. Look in your notes. 
To live a life persuaded by who God has communicated himself to be and by the promises that he has made extends beyond daily decisions to trust God to a new identity, a new understanding of our identities as citizens of a better country. Let me say that again. To live a life persuaded by who God has communicated himself to be and by the promises that he has made extends beyond the daily decisions of, God, am I going to trust you for this issue? Am I going to trust you for this relationship? Am I going to trust you for this challenge I'm facing? It extends beyond that to trust him for a new understanding of our identities as citizens of a better country. We have found, especially in an election year, how challenging that is. It's a little easier said than done. When we were going through the book of 1 Peter, much was made in 1 Peter about the idea of identifying, in a sense, which flag runs taller in your life. We've said at different times when the Star Spangled Banner will be played at an event And if it's, let's say, happens here in the state of California, it will be the American flag that flies high and the California flag that bows to it. And we've used that illustration in the first Peter series to ask the question, as it relates to you, okay, let's just talk about you for a minute, not worried about the people in your family, not worried about people you're sitting by, but for you, the simple question, which flag flies higher in your life? your citizenship in heaven flag, your kingdom flag, or your U.S. flag? And I would say that that getting that question, answering that according, not to what Todd says, but what the word of God says, is infinitely important. And it is going to rightly get you through this season. I don't know, would you raise your hand? Raise your hand if you've ever talked to a Christian. It could be a citizen of or a global worker from who has lived in another country, okay? Lots of hands up. So if you've talked to them, what you may have heard, it's not true everywhere, but what you may have heard is a very, um, a, a deep lack of trust or faith that that governing nation where they're living is wanting to enhance their experience as a Christian, wanting to enhance their freedoms to worship or to share the gospel, usually just the opposite. We have to work in spite of the government, not because of it. I'll never forget I was on a missions trip down to Ecuador and I was in Quito with a friend and I remember talking to him, it was an election year and posters were up all over the city. And I remember talking to him and asking him, hey, you know, here you are, US, you know, a US citizen, but living in Quito, what are these elections like for you? That's gotta be a very different experience. You don't vote, but you're um, impacted by how the vote goes. And he said, well, Todd, it kind of boils down this way. For that particular year, back in the late 90s, one of them is a crook and the other one is literally crazy. And he said, neither of them will be good for the people. That's what he said. And I remember hearing that from him. And you know what I I sense as we talked a little bit more, Russ never had the posture of hoping that one candidate or one party was going to be able to help the evangelical church. I don't mean the denomination, but just people who are following Jesus in Quito more than the other. He'd resign himself to the fact that neither is going to be helpful to the kingdom. Here's the challenge that we face. We have lived in a country that has had a philosophical mooring that has enabled us 
to live in a freedom to worship, to live in a way that allows the gospel to be freely shared with others. Most of us have lived our entire lives with that reality. I'd say all of us have. But what is happening in America is a waning away from those same convictions. And so if I was talking to you today, a group of Jesus followers in a country that had already demonstrated such a distancing, such a disconnect from wanting to help the church be the people of God in advancing in that land, this would be a very different conversation because you would be convinced no matter how the election goes, it's not gonna help us. We work in a sense underneath, we work at times even opposed to what our government is doing because the gospel is so much worth it and because of our citizenship in heaven. This makes it very, very challenging for us in America to go as that group, as that influence is changing, pluralism is taking hold all over the world and here as well, we struggle with what was and how we move forward. I'm not gonna ask this question today, but if I were to take a poll, many of us would say, man, I wanna do everything I can to help America be what it was. Others, if I asked the question, how many of us would say, I just don't know if that's ever gonna happen in my lifetime. You, you would have a very different view. I don't think either of you would be wrong in a, approaching our government in those ways. But I would say this, one thing that I wanna draw your attention to the most as it relates to our living out the promises of God, as it relates to living out this kingdom citizenship, is one thing ensure that we should share in common is that we're all just passing through. So I wanna give you some things that you can anchor down as it relates to an election coming up in a few days. Here's things you can be persuaded of. First off, that Jesus is Lord of all. There's no doubt in my mind. Philippians chapter two, verse nine. Therefore God exalted him, exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yea, God. Yea, God. Another thing you can know and be persuaded of, that God is in control of who is in control. Romans chapter 13, verse one, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. Paul's writing to Roman Christians under Roman rule. There was no way they thought the Roman government was gonna be in any way helpful to them. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. That you can be persuaded of. And finally, our citizenship is in heaven and we're to live as aliens and strangers here in the meantime. Philippians chapter three, verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Listen to this. Their mind is set on earthly things. However, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there. Amen? Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. These are three things you can be persuaded of, not because you're listening to me today, but because the word of God tells us so. So what does this mean? Back to what we started with. How can this shield of faith help us as we work together and as we even protect one another. I was thinking about it this way. When my mom was passing away, my aunt, Aunt Kay from Tennessee, had flown out and she was with us at the beginning of the end. And I remember my aunt loved my mom so much. These were not just sisters, they were best friends. And I remember my aunt coming alongside of my dad As he was watching his wife waste away, she was equally watching her sister waste away. And in that moment, I'll never forget how many times I heard my aunt say to my dad, but Alan, aren't we encouraged by the fact that God loves Sue more than we do? Alan, aren't we encouraged by the fact that God has promised because Sue has put her faith in Jesus to take her home to him? Alan, aren't we encouraged by the fact that this is going to happen to all of us and just that she's going to be there ahead of us? My aunt kept reminding my dad of the truths he knew but had forgotten. That's how we can be that to one another, how we can be shielded in faith together is speaking the truth in love, coming alongside each other and reminding each other of the great news that our faith is exactly that. It is something we're persuaded of, but we're waiting for. So this week, what I want to remind you of, live persuaded by who God is and what he's promised as a means of standing together against our enemy. Let me pray. Father God, we come before you today So grateful for those online, so grateful for those out here on the pavilion and the plaza. Grateful that we can meet in the technology to do so. Grateful for the weather holding off. And Father, I pray this week as we are looking at these articles of armor, looking at these traits, would faith, God, be something you'd grow and keep developing in us? Would we be a people who live by faith and not by sight? Would we be a people who are encouraged by the promises that you've made in your word, that we can trust them and put our weight into them? If you're here today joining us and you have never responded in faith to the gospel, you might know some things about Jesus, you might have heard a story here or there, But Jesus invites you into the gospel, invites you to put your faith, your weight, your persuasion, your confidence in him. And it begins by A, admitting that you're a sinner who needs a savior, admitting that you have not lived according to God's design. And and if you're here and that's your state today, you knew that before I ever said a word. 
you know there's been something wrong. B, believe. Believe that what Jesus did in living that sinless, faithful life, in dying sacrificially on the cross, averting the wrath of God, and, and, and being raised supernaturally on the third day, believe that Jesus is the only Savior available. And see is choose. That's where this issue of faith comes in. Choose to say, Jesus, I put my weight, my confidence, my trust, I'm persuaded that you are who you say you are. And you can talk to God right now in this space, whether you're watching online or whether you're out on the plaza. You can put your faith in Jesus today. Not only be made right with God, but engage these next days as his child, not as someone wondering how it's gonna happen. Father, we love you. We are so absolutely grateful for who you are and how you have been towards us. Pray in Jesus' great name, amen. We're gonna give you the space like we've done every week in this series. We're leaving the now what statement on there. If you can't see it from where you're at, you might be able to see it on your phone. Take a couple minutes just to pray quietly where you are. God, how do I embrace this issue, this article, this armor of faith this week so that I can engage not only spiritual battle, but I can be pleasing to you.